Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week for Slater September, we have True Romance and Natural Born Killers. It's the Spree de Corpse. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. We don't have any feedback. Nobody cares that it's our 100th episode. Oh, uh, did we tell people it's our 100th, 100th episode? Or? I did when I put the coming soon picture up last, oh, yeah. last episode. It's alright, we won't... We've only got like 200 listeners, so... Yeah, to be fair, our 100th episode is also an episode dedicated to Tom Sizemore, so I'm not sure if we're technically celebrating. The, yeah, the weird uh, theme that we're doing for this episode? Yeah, our theme is... Movies written by Quentin Tarantino that somebody else directed that starred Tom Sizemore as a cop. I don't know, it seems a little broad. (laughs) I don't know how we narrowed it down to just two movies. It's <laughs> all mm. time size more at a convention once, but uh, yeah, was he like uh, there as a guest or was he just hanging out? No, he was there as a guest. Like, it wasn't just like ducking his parole officer and hiding in there. <laughs> it was right after he was on uh, Celebrity Rehab too. Okay. So every time I saw him, I just went, "Aww." <laughs> that was about it. Well, don't bring up his rehab, because then it reminds me that not all of his problems are his own fault and technically deserves sympathy. I just want to laugh at his problems. Because <laughs> when rich and famous people have problems, then we're allowed to laugh at them, even though, you know, technically it makes us terrible human beings for doing that. He helped Amanda uh, get off the elevator because she had a luggage cart, and so he pulled it out of the elevator for her. But I think, that nice. was less, I think that was less him being nice and him more annoyed that he couldn't get into the elevator, so he <laughs> pulled it out, then just walked into the elevator. He wasn't helping her, he was trying to push it aside. Yeah. Out of my fucking the, way with this thing. Get the fuck out of the way, I gotta go to my room and do coke! <laughs> oh my god. Like, that fucking guy, like, what happened to him? He was, like, on top of the world, and then just fell straight to the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's going to have the... He'll be like the next Robert Downey Jr. and he'll have a huge comeback. Mm, topical. Yeah, I've had to explain to Amanda, like... I'm like... I don't... Because she, you know, she doesn't know who anybody is. Until I sort of break it down for her. Um, but I had to explain to her. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, both Tom Sizemore and Mickey Rourke used to be, like, good-looking guys who were... At like the top of their game at a certain point and then they both did a bunch of bad shit and now they both look horrible 
Yeah. I was going to say, no, I think Mickey Rourke used to be like an okay looking guy who is an, a decent actor and now he looks like some kind of fucking <laughs> mishap of science. <laughs> like shit has gone wrong. Yeah. But he's he, done his best acting since whatever happened in that lab, so... He looks like what would happen if you took the uh, the Jeff Goldblum fly machine and you put Caitlyn Jenner and uh, Steven Tyler in it. That's what would come out, is, is Mickey Rourke in his current weird plastic form. <laughs> that was really specific. You've done some math on that. <laughs> this is just I, one of those weird boards I with different strings connecting people together. Like, no. No. I mean, I don't get that crazy, but sometimes, yeah, I just look at people and I'm like, why did you fuck up your face? Like, what? I'll never understand the people who go for so many plastic surgeries that their face just starts to look non-human and they keep doing it. Like, Yeah, I know it's a weird, like, dysmorphic disease that they just can't recognize that they look terrible afterwards or that they do think they look terrible afterwards and keep going, try, hoping they're going to fix it. And it just gets worse. He looks like somebody he looks like somebody tried to drown him in a bathtub filled with Botox. <laughs> uh, Why are we just badmouthing Mickey Rourke now? I don't know. I was trying to badmouth Tom Sizemore, and then this just happened. I'm just saying, they could have used him as one of the puppets in the Dark Crystal, and no one would have fucking noticed. <laughs> Ouch. You're saying it looks like a Gelfling or a Skeksy? <laughs> gelfling. Definitely a Gelfling. He's okay. too smooth. <laughs> I, uh, I love that our attacks and make you require follow-up questions. <laughs> well, I could ask if it was that weird witch that can pull her eye out or whatever. Olgra? <laughs> yeah. You don't know if Mickey Rourke can do that or not. Given the right motivation for a role, maybe he would do it. I don't know. Yeah, I could have done it for our Iron Man 2. Like, yeah, Mickey, but can you pull your eye out? I can try. It would have made that hardcore wrestling scene in The Wrestler a lot to, a lot more intense if you'd done it better. <laughs> Just pull it out, let it hang on the cheek a little bit. <laughs> well, since we're talking about Mickey Rourke, I don't mean really <laughs> bust into this, this week's episodes. Which, Which has fun. nothing to do with him. Are, are, are you are you insinuating that Mickey Rourke is a spree killer? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, as Doug mentioned, films about written by Quentin Tarantino that are directed by other people and have Tom Sizemore as a cop in them. That's how we celebrate Christian Slater around here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it doesn't say Christian Slater. I don't know what does. Uh... So, Doug, why don't you uh, break down uh, True Romance for us? Okay, everybody's seen True Romance, so I don't know how far we need to get into a plot description. But uh, <laughs> Christian Slater plays a lovable loser type, works in a comic book store, doesn't have much money, doesn't have a lot going on for him, likes to make lots and lots of pop culture references, usually references to things that Quentin Tarantino likes that 
a 20 something year old living in Detroit would never comment on um meets a girl at the movies turns out that uh, she's technically a hooker but they fall in love anyways goes to get her stuff back from the pimp kills the pimp accidentally steals a bunch of drugs played by Gary Oldman yeah we're gonna get into a discussion about all the different performances in this movie because they're universally great Um, there's just like even the smallest parts are played by actors who you have heard of or will have heard of and like maybe they weren't famous when the movie came out and they're all awesome and uh anyways so uh Christian Slater's character decides to uh travel out to LA to meet up with an actor friend of his to try to sell off this coke so him and his now wife can uh go uh they think they're gonna live the rest of their lives on 200 grand which kind of tells you all you need to know about how intelligent these characters are <laughs> um, but, that, but that was 1993 money yeah, two hundred grand in nineteen ninety three is not the rest of your life. <laughs> like they're planning, they're planning to go live a life of luxury too. <laughs> um. Anyways, yeah. So they're being they get pursued across country by the mobsters who are the rightful owners of the drugs that they accidentally stole. Uh, they and it all culminates in like a got like a Mexican standoff in a hotel room between the LAPD the mobsters, the movie producers that uh, they're trying to sell the drugs to who have their own armed guards and uh, everybody gets kind of all fucked up. <laughs> so, but technically Christian Slater gets to live happily ever after because in the 90s you could get shot in the face and still survive just fine. Yeah, just 90s works. movie logic. You could... From around 80... 80 to about 94 you could get shot in the eye and it would only cost you your eyeball so <laughs> and you just get a bitch an eye patch if you were in a horror movie your eyeball would grow back by the sequel if you were in an action movie you would have to wear an eye patch so <laughs> so I'm gonna assume we all think this movie is awesome unless, unless Noah has any uh, condescending stuff to say about this movie 90% awesome oh things about it I don't like. Well, let's let's get right into it then, because we're we're going to fall into the trap of just praising everything great about this movie. Um, so, what are your criticisms, Noah? My biggest criticisms are uh, the fantastic performances that come in are all bit performances of characters that you basically see once and then never again, including characters that have nothing resolved, like Christopher Walken's character, who comes in and you're like, okay, nice, cool, like, evil lawyer bad guy. You know, I'm sure that's gonna play out. No, no, he just has this one weird scene with uh, Dennis Hopper where they, because Quentin Tarantino wrote the script, they say the N-word about 500 times in, in a minute, you know. And then that's it. Or like, in I guess I guess Dennis Hopper's in more than one scene, so I can't bitch about him just being a yes. throwaway, even though his screen time's what, maybe five minutes total? Ten minutes, yeah, no. Maybe. Yeah, no. I mean the movie is essentially set up as like a road trip type movie. You go from scene to scene, you meet a different little cast of characters, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, Which Gary is... Old you get Gary Oldman as this crazy fucking drug dealer guy, and then 
he fucking gets two scenes and then he's gone. Uh, well, Gary Oldman's character gets killed off. I don't know how you wanted to write him into the climax of the movie. He's dead. Well, I'm saying they shouldn't have killed him off. Should have oh, pursuing him across the country? Any, did they just pick, just fucking pick one? I don't know. I think, the, I think a lot of the fun of this movie is that they don't pick one. That they just have... It is this clusterfuck at the end that nobody knows what's going on. Like, like the mobsters are walking in having no idea that they're what they're walking into. Like all the three different armed groups of people that are in that shootout, none of them entered that room knowing what they were getting into, and that's what I love about that climax. I suppose all, I they all walk in and go, "Oh, what the fuck is going on?" Like, un- unanimously, nobody in the room understands what's going on except for Belky. Right. <laughs> I just feel like I, I feel like my biggest complaint is this: the the movie. I've always thought the movie's uh, story structure reminds me of like a Stephen King book. It just kind of like meanders and takes all these tangents, and then they don't know how to end it, so they just go, "Okay, well they're all in the room and they shoot at each other." End. It's over now. That's fair. Yeah. And I think uh, the script was written because it was written by Quentin Tarantino in the 90s. I think all these scenes were in a different order the way he imagined the movie. Um, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that's a known fact. And basically the studio's like, why would we be jumping all over in time? That that type of story making doesn't get invented until next year. So then they just took all the scenes, put them in chronological order and filmed them. Right, and then oh, I the, the other complaint is that uh, I can't even remember the guy's fucking name. The actor friend, what the fuck's that actor's Michael name? Michael Rappaport. Michael Rappaport. Uh, he is obnoxious, and he is not a good actor. And he's Aww. the one that gets a bunch of screen time. Well, I think he's. I think he is obnoxious on purpose. I think that's the character. Well, if that's the case, I mean, he plays the same character in every single thing he's ever been in. But once again, I think that might fall under the category of he's a bad actor. Ouch. Shots fired at Michael Rappaport. I think you should watch the 2006 movie special where he's actually quite good. But I think it's from 2006. I could be wrong on that. Mm. What's it about? Uh, He may or may not have superpowers. Either has superpowers or he's insane. Okay, sold. <laughs> you've, you've quelled Noah's interest. <laughs> I like that. You're just like, oh, you had me at superpowers. Um, but yeah, like like I said, that's I think that's my my only complaint are the structures and the fact that you take these uh, these opportunity for like I I don't even know how to describe it. I would call it, like, Oscar-worthy fucking character portrayals and boil them down into pit parts. You know what I mean? Which is just, uh, in some ways, unforgivable. Uh, yeah, no, I just... I I like road trip movies. I like this style of film where you, you know, progress along the way this movie does. So I, I think it's fine. It doesn't bother me in the least. I think that's the whole thing is our main we follow our main characters as they travel through the story and encounter all these different weird people and the ones that need to come back for plot purposes too but it makes sense like that like so you get Christopher Walken showing up as the mob lawyer it makes total sense plot wise that the mob's not going to send their lawyer guy to do 
across country. They're going to just have somebody else pick that guy up there, right? Mm-hmm. Send some goons or whatever. The biggest shame is outside of the movie that Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper were never in a movie where they uh, went against each other outside of this movie. Yeah, they're watching those two bounce off each other in this movie is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it. It's yeah. yeah, I could have just watched the entire movie of them just yeah. going back and forth. Oh, I again, I could watch an entire movie about those two guys. I could watch an entire movie about Gary Oldman's character. I could easily watch an entire... I could watch a TV series about Floyd. I would watch that <laughs> in a heartbeat. He's by far my favorite character in this whole fucking movie is Floyd. Mm. And it's just... Yeah, like, I, I love all these characters that pop up. Now, the real question I do think, we say that we'd watch a whole movie of that. This movie doesn't give us enough plot for those characters to do any more than they do, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't know. We'd have to see what that movie was about. Yeah. By the way, in this movie, the, I, I was reminded of something. Have you guys ever noticed that uh, Brad Pitt letting himself go and Crimps Hemsworth letting himself go are like virtually identical? You could not <laughs> tell those two fucking people apart. Uh, yeah. How about a, how about a buddy a but like a buddy movie with those two just letting themselves go? Just. <laughs> Just, just Fat Thor and Floyd are just playing game, video games together, refusing yeah. to get off the couch. Oh, that'd be delightful. And then yeah, have, like, Jeff that. Bridges play their dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic. Right. Yeah, and apparently that was Brad Pitt's idea. Like, Floyd should just never leave the couch. He does for, like, oh. one scene where they're sitting in the kitchen, and he just... He, of course, is getting more beer out of the fridge. <laughs> I just I love the I love my favorite moment maybe in this whole movie is when uh, James Gunn Delphini character comes there and he like he's talking to Floyd and after he leaves Floyd's like fucking don't condescend me man <laughs> he's just like like he's like trying to talk tough after everybody's gone <laughs> like oh I love it I also love that that these people have shown up and they've said like ah oh, some people may be after us we don't know. And then this dude shows up in a suit and then starts talking to him. And he's like, hey, man, you just want to come in and watch the TV? You just come back. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get the impression that Floyd ever knew what was going on. He's just like, <laughs> some some people came to the house, but then they went to the Safari Motel Motor Motel Inn. <laughs> Whatever. Somebody else is looking for him. Like, you wouldn't think too much about it, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> so Doug, I noticed on Instagram you said that you felt Christian Slater was born to give out Christian or uh, Quentin Tarantino dialogue. Yeah, it, it seems like a match made in heaven, doesn't it? it like really does. we, we've every every week throughout the month of September, we've talked about how good Christian Slater is at delivering these like monologues and just spewing seeming nonsense straight into the camera, breaking the fourth wall, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It seems like Tarantino writing speeches for him just makes sense. And when you look at how many people who are in this movie went on to work with Tarantino at a later date, you're like, why the hell hasn't Christian Slater? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is 
It is weird for as good as he is in this movie that they never, Quentin never picked up on that and was like, yeah, I could probably do something with him and come up with another project for them to do. Yeah, and maybe the problem is that, you know, now that Quentin Tarantino gets to work with, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, those those are the roles that would go to a Christian Slater, right? Like, and mm. you're going you're gonna to work with the bigger name actor? I don't know if that's the only issue or... Like, obviously, I don't know why somebody was not casting things, but it's it just seems like it seems like a no-brainer to me, and this movie proves that it could work. Mm-hmm. Like this movie, I think really is it's a it's a perfect combination of like they got all of these great like actors in like like Samuel L. Jackson's in this movie like Gar- like we've talked about Gary Oldman, we've talked about Brad Pitt, James Gandolfini, like these really good actors who weren't quite famous yet at in like 92 when they were filming this and it's like I think that they they nailed that they've got Quentin Tarantino's script which they clearly didn't change much of because nobody else writes this kind of stuff and then like I think Tony Scott is a perfect director for this because he can do like the action scenes and he can he can handle the tonal shifts that happen in this movie in a way that works where you've got like the lighthearted scenes that just and then they're offset with these really dark moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he's, he's yeah. really good with the stuff. Like, look, I haven't watched this in a couple years, and the thing that really got me is the sort of opening part of the movie where they are just like meeting each other and everything, and like I could like it felt like I want to say it felt real, but I mean the whole situation's not even real, but. I just felt like their chemistry was really good. So directing them in those scenes where they're sort of falling in love with each other, I thought, like, that stuff was amazing. Yeah, it's all handled really well. But then you take that and compare it, like, there's a scene where uh, Gandolfini beats the shit out of Patricia Arquette. Mm -hmm. And it is fucking hard to watch it is like genuinely like gut-wrenching when he like he he makes her like turn around a certain way just so he can punch her hard in the head and it's just like i i don't know how the same guy directed both those scenes and i don't know how they managed to edit it and work it out in a way where those scenes can be in the same movie and and it works and they cut right back and forth from the lighthearted stuff to the dark stuff in such a way that it makes the dark stuff that much more impactful Right, for sure. Like I think part of it is, I mean, he makes you fall in love with her too while you're watching it. So then later, when yeah, Gandolfini's like beating the shit out of her, yeah, it hurts way worse than, than it does. Just, it's uh, just watching those scenes like by themselves. And it's like, yeah, and I mean, obviously, like Gandolfini's a huge guy, and he's standing next to these just towering over this girl. And there's little things too, which I think some of them are. Like, some of it's Tarantino and some of it's Tony Scott. But it's like, like, when she walks in that room and she, like, tries to pretend she doesn't know why the guy's there, and her thing is like, oh, my boyfriend's going to come back. He's a big guy. He plays football. And it's like, that's what a fucking 12-year-old would say to try to intimidate somebody. And it's like, it makes her seem so just innocent. And, like, they're clearly just in over their heads. Mm-hmm. They clearly are not capable of handling the situation they find themselves in. Her and Christian Slater both. And so you just see this, you're just like, they they don't know how fucked they are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I do like the interplay of it. It's almost like a uh, different version of a Romeo and Juliet style thing, where it's like, yeah, they love each other, but they love each other that much because they're fucking idiots. 
Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah, no, it's... And, and it is it is kind of a nice story when two people who are having trouble fitting into the world for whatever reason, in this case it's because they're idiots, um, but it's nice that they find each other and that they are able, you know... It, it, people who don't who don't who don't fit into mainstream society get together and they they can be happy together and that's great um but these guys are just they're in over their head like right away and it's just like like the minute that they find out they've got that drugs they sh- they should have known they weren't smart enough to deal with this <laughs> they should have turned those drugs over to the cops or done whatever and just not tried to fucking do anything but they don't know they're stupid right so they think that they can handle it yeah. Yeah, the thing I noticed this week is <laughs> watching two movies about people finding the perfect person for themselves for better or worse in whichever situation <laughs> you find yourself in. Yeah. Unusual people finding uh finding ways to fit in together when they can't fit in in the rest of the world. It's nice. It's romantic. And then Tom Sizemore has to fuck it up in both cases. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say one of the things about this movie too the first 20 minutes of the movie just sells the shit out of that uh out of christian slater's character just because it's mostly tarantino stuff but he just kind of like veges out on nerd shit a whole bunch of times yeah. and you're like yeah that's right <laughs> Fuck, well, i love this guy the opening scene of him talking to the girl in the bar and like clearly she kind of likes him and stuff and he's like yeah I'm going to go see a movie do you want to come see a movie with me and she's like well what show and he's like well to Sonny Chiba <laughs> triple feature and he starts going into detail about it and she's like you want me to go watch a kung fu movie and he's like yeah but three three kung fu movies <laughs> and I was like I do want to go watch three kung fu movies right now. It is one of those things, too, where you're like, he doesn't know why nobody else wants to go see that. Like, he's just, he's that old, old fashioned version of geek where he just, he doesn't understand that not everybody's going to want to go. It's like you go to the movies by yourself every year on your birthday and you sit in an empty theater because nobody else wants to be there. Hasn't occurred to you yet to not bring it up in your opening conversation with a girl? <laughs> Speaking of which, I need to I need to remember to add the Street Fighter movies to the list. Oh, the uh, Jean Claude Van Damme one's already on the list. No, <laughs> not that. I'm talking about the ones that are good. Like I said, not the, the Jean Claude Van Damme one's already on the list. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and then he takes her to the comic book shop, and I love he's just having a conversation, and then after the conversation's over, he's just like, so, you want to see Spider-Man number one? (laughs) (laughs) I like that, too, because there's something about that, too, having grown up as a geek and having seen this movie, like, in high school for the first time when I was, you know geeks weren't cool yeah. back then yeah. I don't know if we have younger listeners you have to understand it wasn't always cool to be into this stuff no. nowadays it seems like it is and it's no. not fair and it sucks because <laughs> you're almost embarrassed like bringing it up Yeah, you're like I do this, love it but it's just like fuck I know I'm going to get a bunch of shit for saying yeah I like comics but like this moment where he's in this comic book shop and I, they think they play it just perfectly and it's the performances and the writing and the directing all coming together it's just like she's clearly just humoring him 
mm-hmm. and just like like yeah no I want to see Spider-Man number one which she obviously does not want to see and then I, I feel like he knows that but he's loving the fact that there's this pretty girl humoring him like he's just like I can't mm-hmm. believe she's letting me talk about this shit well, yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, and yeah. I mean, like the next scene is the scene where it's very obvious it's the scene she falls in love with him because he's looking at a comic book and he's explaining like no, this is why this comic is great. And look at the art. The art's fantastic. And, like, all this stuff. And you can see her just looking at him, and she starts smiling. So it's just, I feel yeah, like, yeah. Being passionate about, like, this passionate about something is what really works. Yeah. It's, God, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to quit recording this podcast and go watch some Sonny Chiba movies. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever seen any of those? Have you guys ever seen like uh, Street Fighter, Return of the Street Fighter, or any of that stuff? Uh, no. no I, I I'm never, not really into kung fu movies. Yeah, that's kind of a blind spot for me. So I mean, I'm definitely up for doing some of the show at some point. But yeah, they're real good. He describes it very well. In which Sonny Chiba's character, it's like. It's almost like uh, John Wick or something. It's like, what's th- what's this character's thing? Uh, well, he can just fuck people up real bad, and uh, and he comes into conflict with these other people, and he fucks them up. So, so that's the entire movie. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> Got some other favorite scenes done. That Bronson Pinchot getting smacked in the face with a bag of coke right with the cops. Oh. <laughs> that is just again like you can just tell Tarantino that's a guy that doesn't really like mainstream Hollywood and that's what he's playing up there is just like this these fucking losers who think they're so cool and then this happens to him and you're just like oh I fucking love it <laughs> yeah I mean how weird is the this might be the, the part that I, I won't even say I don't like it I just find it fucking weird is all the Elvis stuff like why is there a ghost of Elvis in this movie just conscience telling them what to do yeah once, and, and, and once again how the fuck did they get because this is peak Val Kilmer era how did they get Val Kilmer to come be in a movie where he's never in focus? That part I don't know because all the, like a, a lot of those other actors weren't really famous at the time. They were working actors, but they weren't big yet. Uh, Val Kilmer, I don't get. Like I don't understand why he's in this. Because uh, uh, Tony Scott directed Top Gun, so I'm sure it was like, "Hey, Val, you want to come uh, out and just, just do a, maybe a couple days worth of work?" And he's like, "Sure." I guess that makes sense. Yeah. That's my assumption, anyway. That it's just, you know, you enjoy working with people, and even if you are a big star, sometimes you just show up just to have fun. And it's like, <laughs> hey, Val, do you want to play Elvis? Uh, yeah. Do you want to play? Do you want to play Elvis, who weirdly like shows up just to say encouraging things, and then once be like, you know, you need to kill that guy. Just go, <laughs> go fucking murder that guy. <laughs> it's not really encouraging things. It's more directing people towards uh, a path of destruction because he does like help Christian Slater become he's like you, you should have the confidence to be a drug dealer and murderer I know right now you just work at a comic book shop but <laughs> do you got any favorite scenes Noah? Uh, 
Yeah, like so, all all the bit stuff. The I think I think the best scene of the entire movie is the uh, Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken scene. Yeah, even 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 if it's grotesquely offensive because it was written by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, this movie is from '93, and that's not excusing anything. But some of the uh, language in this is uh, questionable. Right from. from a lot of different people, not just Dennis Hopper and Christopher. Walsh. No, no, yeah. And it's it's always weird because so I you know I love Dennis Hopper, but my obviously my favorite part of the Dennis Hopper filmography is over the top Dennis Hopper. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Uh, in which this is playing it straight Dennis Hopper, which you don't. And well, I mean, I'm not going to say there isn't a lot of it. He's been in a bajillion movies, but. Mm-hmm. It's it's typically less enjoyable whenever he's playing it straight instead of going ape shit. But this is one of those exceptions where he plays it straight, and it's just between him, it, it, they both have that weird level of hostile charisma. Yeah, <laughs> that that both of them doing it at the same time. It's weird seeing two people smiling and joking and knowing both of them are like "fuck you" the entire time. <laughs> Yeah, this is another one of those examples that I tell people. I'm like, this is the kind of stuff you got to watch and remember that Christopher Walken's actually a really good actor and not yeah. just playing Christopher Walken and everything. Right. It's real good. All the stuff with Gary Oldman's amazing. This is yeah. one of those, I think this is one of those ones, if you showed this movie to somebody and cut the credits off and didn't tell them that was Gary Oldman, oh, I think no, dude, most no. people, yeah, most people wouldn't even figure it out. No, he doesn't sound anything like himself. He's never played a character like this in anything else that I've ever seen. <laughs> it's it's so out there. He just he never plays the same thing twice. You know, I he's he's one of those actors that every once in a while he pisses me off whenever he talks about his dumb political shit. But man, he's a great fucking actor. He he might be the best actor alive. Might yeah. Be. There's no reason that he doesn't belong in that discussion. the the difference The difference between like the characters that he plays in like close succession to one another too. Like it's weird, right? And, like I mean, his accents are like he's playing. He's he's putting on like an urban accent throughout this movie, and it just sounds natural coming out of his mouth. It almost defeats the purpose because, like, he's supposed they're supposed to be having fun with the fact that he's this like white guy that talks like a black guy because that was funny in 1993. Mm-hmm. But it, it he's almost so good at it that it sounds like that's just how he talks, and <laughs> it doesn't seem like you should be laughing at him for it. Luckily, the dialogue is ridiculously over the top. So when he starts talking about white boy day, you like it's hard not to laugh at him. <laughs> Yeah, I read. But that, I do like uh, the fact that I read that he uh, was talking to Tony Scott and hadn't even read the script yet. And he's like, "So tell me, like, what, like, what's, what's my character, like, the whole thing." And Tony Scott told him, "Like, well, you're a white guy who thinks he's a black guy." And that that alone, Gary Oldman was like, "Done. I am on board." That's awesome. <laughs> it's weird too, though, because all those Gary Oldman scenes are almost cartoonish and there's lots of violence there's like the the fight between Gary Oldman and Christian Slater and there's Gary Oldman killing all those guys in the hotel room and are in his kind of introduction scene and stuff and uh, 
it, it is though it's cartoonish over the top violence and it's followed very shortly by the Christopher Walken Dennis Hopper scene which like that torture is legit painful to watch mm-hmm. when he cuts his hand and stuff you're like holy shit and again that's like that's Tony Scott directing both those scenes it's really impressive that he's able to do those two different things in the same movie and make it not feel like a weird tonal shift yeah makes it a big bummer that he's no longer with us yeah well anything else we should cover before we move on I'm sure there's lots of other good stuff to say about this movie <laughs> uh, yeah I don't know so, it's so fucking it's just so fucking random it's hard to explain yeah. if you haven't seen it it's hard to explain and I'll be honest I don't think I've seen this movie since it came out mm-hmm. I saw it back then and this is probably my second time watching this movie oh really yeah. I've, I've seen this movie so many times <laughs> well, well the funny thing is I remember not liking it the first time I saw it mm-hmm. and I don't know and maybe it was just because like I saw some edited for TV version of it or something that fucked it all up but I, I know whenever is... I started watching it I was like holy fuck this movie's got everybody in it. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching this for the first time like when it was it was probably around 96 first time I saw it and then I kept showing it to other people and not understanding why other people weren't like super excited I felt like Christian Slater's character just explaining comic books to people like I would just show them this movie and they'd be like yeah it was okay or whatever and I'd be like what are you okay what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> they weren't ready, Doug. They weren't. That was the problem. Society wasn't ready for this movie, and but but I was. So it made me so happy, and it still does. Like I, like I yeah. could probably just. It's one of those ones. Like I could just watch it again right now. It's yeah. no problem. It's yeah. This is maybe only like the third time I've seen it. So I mean, I'm still still pretty uh, pretty like fresh on it. But, I mean, every time I've watched it, I'm always amazed at how good it is. Not that I ever didn't enjoy it, but you just kind of forget. And then you watch it again, you're like, oh, my God, this is so fucking amazing. Did we did we mention that Samuel L. Jackson's in this movie for about 35 seconds? Yeah. Still has his name in the opening credits, though. It's, it's weird. Well, this would have been, like, because nobody knew who Samuel L. Jackson was prior to Pulp Fiction, really, right? Like... Mm that's how I remember it being anyway I wouldn't have known who he was before that yeah, so it's he had a couple smaller parts and some other stuff but yeah Pulp Fiction yeah, yeah. No, and, and the same thing with like, like St. James Gandolfini is in this movie playing a mobster he obviously got really famous with The Sopranos shortly after this but I'm sure he did movies before that but nobody really knew who he was like he was just one of those actors there's lots of working actors in the world yeah Cause, I mean, but I mean even like it's so fucking weird like even the like the goons that work for the movie producer where they have to where they're trying to sell the coke to it's yeah. like both those guys are faces you recognize if you've been watching action movies for a while and stuff it's just constant yeah Amanda was like is that guy with the ponytail is that Tony Little and I was like what she's like you know Tony Little he used to have the gazelle that little uh, fucking uh, workout uh, paid program and I was like no nah, this guy played football she's like oh, okay yeah, not the same person. yeah I think there I don't think there is a single person in a single part that has a speaking role in this movie that's not somebody you wouldn't recognize yeah 
Yeah, it's insane. Like, even the guy who, uh, which, is he supposed to be Russian? I don't even know what his nationality is supposed to be. The guy that doesn't speak English, that's with the, uh, the mobsters. He's supposed to be Italian. He's with the mobsters. Oh, is Italian? Sicilian. Uh, Sicilian. Uh, yeah, because Amanda saw him. She's like, oh, he's on, he's on, uh, he's also on Sopranos. And I was like, oh, okay. So literally, like, nobody goes by. Everybody's just not like, yeah, I know that guy. I'm trying to think if there's anyone. There must be, like, somebody that they walk by at the hotel or something that says hi to them. you <laughs> <laughs> scared to look it up, though. Yeah, because even, because, uh, you know, Bronson Pinchot gets pulled over. So I think even the girl is somebody, isn't she? Uh, she's a recognizable face. Now, whether that just means she's been really small parts in a bunch of stuff I'm not sure who she is yeah. Interesting. yeah like and it's like with the two cops when they go in and meet their captain like he's somebody I don't know his name but I, he, I know he's like I know his face mm-hmm. and it's Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore that are the cops anyways watch it and then watch out for the sequel True Bromance starring Brad Pitt Chris Hemsworth <laughs> <laughs> This is the best idea I've ever heard. <laughs> we do never, we never find out the fate of Floyd in this movie. No, Floyd's like the one character that comes out unscathed, right? Because as far as we know, he's just still on the couch. Like, <laughs> actually, the actor, the actor friend escapes too. Oh, yeah, he Does runs he? down the hallway. Yeah, yeah. While well, everybody's shooting, he crawls out of the hallway and just takes off, and then we never see him again. Like well, do the sequel. It turns out Floyd's still living on the couch. He's never moved out. Never got a job. I like the idea that there's like a whole other family that's moved in and he's just still on the couch he just came with the place kind of thing look the rent's pretty cheap but Floyd has to live with you just so you understand Uh, alright well yeah watch uh, True Romance it's fantastic yeah I mean I'm sure everyone listening to this has seen it but if you haven't seen it in a while revisit it it's as good as you remember yeah it's fantastic so Noah, I'm going to give you the unenviable task of telling us all about Natural Born Killers, and and what is that movie about? So, well, I mean, it's actually pretty easy to explain what it's about. Yeah, the plot isn't the complicated part of that. Right. Yeah. About it, It's about two people who fall in love, and as it turns out, the title is very misleading because they're both clearly products of their environment. <laughs> But they uh, they basically fall in love and then go on a killing spree, and it's just about uh, them being together and 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 fucking shit up. Yeah, that's that's the entire plot of the movie. I mean, there's no there's nothing else to it. Well, I guess the the uh, execution is a little bit more all over the place. Yeah, yeah. The idea of so it's it's. <laughs> it's so fucking just describing it's weird so so once again you got uh, uh, a Tarantino script with Oliver Stone directing and and as you can probably guess that turns into a whole lot of what the fuck is going on right now <laughs> but I, I like the fact that basically the entire movie the way I've always interpreted it is that it's being told from the perspective of two mentally ill people with kind of twisted views of what the world is. And so 
you're you're seeing things not as they are, but as uh, what what are their name? Mickey is it Mickey? Mickey and Mallory. Mickey and yep. Mallory. Uh, you're seeing the world as they perceive it to be. Right. Which makes it just fucking whack the fuck out 90% yeah. of the time. My biggest complaint, I, I think I used to like watch this movie a lot and I really liked it. I think the older I get, I I get a little more irritated with how long this movie is. It's really fucking long. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really feel the length in the movie, though. It doesn't doesn't bother me. Really, I always thought about the about the time that they have the the spiritual experience of meeting the the shaman who they accidentally murder and then are attacked by a field full of rattlesnakes. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys notice, see a sentence like that comes out of your mouth, you realize <laughs> if you if you describe any minute and a half of things that happen on the screen, they're all about that same level of just fuckery. Yeah. Yeah, people just going, you're making shit up. Come on. <laughs> but I, th- I think the movie does a good job in the opening moments of establishing th- that we're not in the real world. Like, we're that opening scene in that diner where it's like they're just th- it's just them sitting there eating pie but I don't know they use, they use some weird Dutch angles to make everything look strange and then when they just start killing off people there's like there's that moment where Mickey throws a knife at a guy and he's outside and it like breaks through a window before it hits him and you're like that's not how that would work like you, you know your head just your head is just like doing the math going like I know that in the real world none of this could happen so now I'm set up for the fact that the rest of the movie is going to be fucking insane and it cuts like from that it cuts over to like the it, it goes straight to the Rodney Dangerfield stuff right? Yeah. Right. Can can we just say out of that diner scene the thing that fucks me up the most is uh, I'm a pretty big fan of key lime pie. It's like one of my favorite <laughs> things in the world and whatever the fuck he's eating that is not key lime pie. That is some weird Nickelodeon ooze turned jello in a pie crust. I told you it's not set in the real world. It's told from an off-kilter perspective. <laughs> I also feel like they're, what they're setting up there is like like Mickey dressed in all white with his hair tied back and Mallory in her like hippie outfit. Like I think those are the idealized versions of themselves. That's how they think of themselves. And when we see them later on and they're all like in a lot of the movie they're disheveled and stuff and you're like that's what they're more like but this is what they how they see themselves as this is how they like to think of themselves as these weird sort of folk heroes that are just killing people for no reason they they don't seem to understand why that doesn't make them heroes yeah I I think though as far as the next vignette of the movie the uh I don't know how to describe it. What it's a weird hybrid of maybe like Leave It to Beaver and several other fifties and sixties sitcoms, uh, explaining Mallory's backstory and her father, played by Rodney Dangerfield, who plays the most convincing, gross dad <laughs> ever yeah, put on ever put on film. It's it's upsetting. so upsetting. Yeah, it is genuinely upsetting. Weirdly, in in the setting of this like TV show, 
he plays it without a wink to the camera, which is weird for Rodney Dangerfield, which just skews the whole thing completely, like, yeah. into outer space. You're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, the whole... I don't... That might be... Out of, out of the entire film, that part of the movie might be artistically the best thing that's done in the entire thing. Just because there's something about that, that the, like the juxtaposition of him making his fucking terrible comments with the with the sitcom laugh track yeah. over it, yeah. and in or him making like goofy faces after threatening to beat his wife to death, you know what I mean? It's stuff like that, and you're like, ah, fuck, <laughs> like. Yeah, it, it's it's creepy and weird, and it is kind of funny, but then you kind of feel bad about finding it funny because it's so creepy and weird. And it's just, yeah, you're just, it's, he's so slimy, and you just believe him when he's talking about doing the things he's talking about doing. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's gross. I also think it's, you know, Oliver Stone known to be critical like watching it as an adult I look at it and go yeah clearly what he's doing here is he's setting it up that every part of this movie is going to be criticizing something about our society and this part he's criticizing the nostalgic view people have of like oh wasn't life perfect back in like the 50s kind of thing and he's making sure everyone knows that he <laughs> he does not view it that way that he understands that there was probably a lot of negative shit going on that we were just pretending wasn't happening um and, and covering it up with laugh tracks, basically. And that's... I actually think that's a really intelligent way to get that message across. I, I think it's... Oh, yeah. Like, like, like I, I don't think that that message necessarily sunk into me when I was a teenager and saw this for the first time. But watching it now, I think it's, like, really intelligent filmmaking. Mm. Even if it is slimy and gross and hard to watch, and yet still funny. Oh, yeah. Just, like, the whole subversive view of the entire movie, done fantastically that yeah when you get older and you've lived through some shit you finally look at it and you're like uh we're all disgusting yeah and i mean i think the movie like it's an r-rated movie it was made for an adult audience it was made for an audience that ought to understand what's being said yeah uh, and having having been a teenager the first 10 times i saw this movie i think i was just like this is fucking cool right this shit's blowing up and things are funny but violent at the same time like I was enjoying it on like a commando level back then and now I see it a lot differently but I still really appreciate what's being done yeah I really I really like the fact that on the rewatch uh, the part that it's showing basically the man on the street stuff where they're doing interviews of people talking about Mickey and Mallory and they're all doing that weird hero worship thing of them and they're like yeah they're fucking awesome I mean I would never kill anybody but you know if I was going to kill somebody I'd want to kill people like them and it's and and I know I probably found that kind of stuff funny as, as I was younger and now whenever I watch it I'm like ashamed that I know that I was that person <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it is I mean because there is a fine line between having an interest in a topic and having a reverence for the, the topic and when it gets into that stuff you're just like yeah like I have an, an interest in like serial killers and stuff and I read up on them and listen to podcasts about them and stuff but I don't look up to them like I don't want to be like them and I find it there are people who cross that line you know mm-hmm. 
and no. this movie's not afraid to call those people out, even though those people are probably in the audience for this movie. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's weirdly the whole movie's about idol worship in a very weird way as far as like society is concerned. Even showing like well, like the Japanese girls who can't even really speak English, but they're just like, oh yeah, yeah. Mickey Mallory, fantastic and stuff. But it's just like, fuck, like they just became part of the culture, and it's showing how like shit like that can be dangerous. Well, and keeping in mind that this was coming out in the era of the celebrity trial, right? Like, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know exactly how the timelines fly, but there was the whole, like, Rodney King incident, which is obviously being referenced later in this movie, and then there was, like, the OJ trial and all that stuff going on in the 90s where it was like, yeah, yeah like, why are we watching trials like they're sports? We shouldn't be. Yeah. Like, it's... And we still shouldn't, and we still do it. Yeah. I mean, but... It's, oh yeah, we learn nothing from this movie whatsoever. No, no, no. Yeah, we as a society we don't learn things. No, but that's that's just an established fact. But no, I mean if you Robert Downey Jr. plays like a uh, I don't know what you would call him, just like a crime chaser because he's a host of he's, like a he's just like a sleazy journalist. Totally. Yeah. Well, they, they, there there was the the weird trend back then of like news shows that were not news like they weren't they were like half hour long nightly programs where they just told you one story like it was pretending to be a news story but it was really just sensationalism right he was like Geraldo or something like that yeah yeah but if you just change him from being on tv to having his own youtube series where he chased down shit like this like it would still be completely 100 percent relevant yeah well yeah and like no one nailed it on the head he's Geraldo and we learned nothing Geraldo's still on tv now <laughs> like yeah, exactly. it's we we learn nothing from from times past, but you know, Oliver Stone was trying to teach us a lesson. He was trying to show us look what the look at how the media is sensationalizing these mm-hmm. terrible people and making them into heroes. And you know, guess what? How many how many countries in the world now have a leader who's only there because the media sensationalized them? Yeah. Sadly, it's getting more and more every day. Yep. Yeah, it's, I mean, like you said, they they show, like, news clips from, yeah, the OJ trial, the uh, Lorena Bobbitt trial. They showed Tanya yeah. Harding, like, skating and stuff. So, I mean, they, yeah, it's completely just like, yeah, you're already watching all this shit. Here's another movie that symbolizes other shit that you would be into if it really yeah. happened. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, Mickey and Mallory are the over-the-top version of that. That's done on purpose. That's that's where the the comedy of this film comes from is by exaggeration but it is yeah like if there was if there was this type of spree killer going on for three weeks people would be glued to their tv sets and advertising rates for cnn would go up because they'd be like oh we can charge more because there's this killing thing and they'd probably start sponsoring it you know what i mean yeah this newscast about this diner being destroyed by these and everyone being killed is brought to you by the following sponsors, you know. <laughs> Sponsored by Denny's and a weird twist. <laughs> um, I thought Juliette Lewis was good casting. This is like the second time I watched this movie. I watched it when I was like a teenager, just, I don't know, didn't really like it, so I never watched it again, but I was definitely interested in checking it out again. Uh, I would say it's not one of my favorites, but I did enjoy it more than I did last time. 
But I thought Juliet Lewis was really good casting because I've always kind of felt that Juliet Lewis is like one bad day away from this just being her actual life. She always just seems super crazy to me. So I can just imagine her having a bad day and she's like, fuck it. I'm killing everybody. Yeah, she doesn't. My problem is Julia Lewis doesn't have a huge like range, yeah. but what she does, she does well. And one of the things she does very well is uh, unstable crazy girl. <laughs> yeah. And in this, she can just go full bore unstable crazy girl, and, and that works out very well. Yeah, just watch this yeah. in California back to back. And then, I mean, Woody Harrelson's just fucking Woody Harrelson. He's, <laughs> think, he's awesome. He does. That. I think this is the movie where I found out he was a good actor, too. I always just assumed he was this character from Cheers until this came out. Well, I, I even, I wonder if they do it on purpose that the first time you see uh, Mickey's character outside, outside of the opening diner scene, whenever he walks in the front door with the, uh, the meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he even does the thing he would do on Cheers, like where he kind of like looks into the camera and like flicks his eyebrows and gives the big goofy yeah. smile and stuff. Yeah. And then you're like, ah ha ha! It's you know, it's it's the guy from Cheers. And then it's like, no, nope, no, he's gonna murder a whole bunch of fucking people. He's wearing a big big white apron too, which he was always wearing in Cheers. Like, right. yeah, it might be intentional, or it might just be that Cheers was such a stereotypical sitcom that when they do stereotypical sitcom in this, it comes across that way i was gonna say robert we talked about the robert downey jr character robert downey jr's uh portrayal is pretty epic too he kind of sinks into this guy yeah he's fantastic you watch this movie and you're not surprised that he makes boatloads of money being an actor now yeah like it's it's weird. Like, if you didn't know who he was, you would think that's a British actor, right? Mm-hmm. And it's most American actors cannot do a British accent well enough to pull it off for a whole movie. We've seen so many try and fail over the years, and he does it perfect. And for no reason, because I don't know why the character has to be British. <laughs> I don't see the point. <laughs> it kind of it kind of makes you sad, though, over how much of his career he lost. Oh, Jesus. Because yeah. you see something from back then, you're like, he should have been, he sh- he should have been. I mean, he is now, but he should have been on pace with like Tom Hanks's career. You know what I mean? As time went on, mm-hmm. and instead he just vanished for twenty twenty years, thirty years. Uh, sometimes me and Amanda just look at each other, and we're just when we're watching like Avengers or whatever. I'm like, do you remember when he was like the lowest scum of the earth? for a while well it would be like just i mean you know i say scum of the earth but i mean just like you know nobody would hire him because he was so unreliable you know found in hotel rooms just i don't know what he did shooting up or snorting or whatever and just being like you know just completely like radioactive like nobody nobody even wanted to talk to him and now he's in like five of the biggest movies of all time within the last ten years. <laughs> the best thing is, in those movies, he's made more money than Jesus. He never has to work again if he doesn't want to. No. He made $50 million off the first Avengers movie. He's like, yeah, I don't ever need to worry about anything ever again. Other than his sobriety, I guess, because I mean, having that much money could really fuck you up if you're a really bad addict. 
Yeah. yeah. What's funny is it was it was him and Christian Slater were the two that went off the rails back in the day, and people used to joke about them all the time. Mm. So it all t- it all ties back into our th- monthly themes. So. Yeah. Yeah, I really thought I really thought Christian Slater's was going to come back with a vengeance too, and then it didn't kind of work out. He kind of he did that thing where he surfed in on a wave, and now everybody's cool with him, but he's mostly doing B roll shit. You know what I mean? Well, he's a uh, I think he's one of the co leads on Mr. Robot, which is a pretty highly respected show. Yeah. Yeah, but but what I mean is he's on TV making TV money while Robert Downey Jr.'s in Avengers making Disney money. Sure. <laughs> those 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 aren't just like different levels. Those are com- different industries completely. <laughs> he's got cuffs money. He doesn't need anything else. You think he still gets a cuffs <laughs> residual every once in a while? I, I do not think he does because of how hard it was to find those movies. He's getting he's getting no pump up the volume residuals. I don't know how they. I don't know how you can. Uh, what kind of pay we get from archive dot org? But. Uh, yeah, yeah. We do need a, a Christian Slater comeback though. He needs to start getting more like more big time roles. I'd be all about it. I mean, it's always funny watching him pop up. Like, he had a role on Archer for a while in which he was literally playing himself. As a, <laughs> it was like Christian Slater if Christian Slater worked for the FBI. Which, that could just be a TV show. I'd be down with that. We're off on a weird tangent where we <laughs> accidentally got ourselves back on our monthly topic. <laughs> um, I don't know. Anybody else have anything else to say about Natural Born Killers? I don't know. Like I said, it's so hard to fucking talk about this movie because every every scene and sometimes multiple times within a scene, it's all so visual that it's hard to pin down what you're trying to explain to people. Uh, Yeah. The only thing I would say is I think if you watch this movie as an adult look like and you're a reasonably intelligent person I think you'll you'll realize that yeah it's a yes it's a comedy film basically but it's a really intelligent film and the commentary on you know 50s nostalgia that we've talked about the commentary on the media that we've talked about the commentary on police violence the commentary on the prison industrial system is all there and I think it's handled really well and it's kind of buried in this ultra violent over the top narrative but I think it really is uh, I think it's there and it's, it, it's clear what they're saying you know but not to not so in your face that it takes you out of the movie which is it's really good filmmaking on the, from that perspective I think mm-hmm. like at the end when you've got like Tommy Lee Jones running around like trying to arrange to have them killed and stuff and you're like if it was a different actor in that scene, you'd probably be like, oh, I see they're like heavily handed trying to make it out like the, like the warden's the bad guy here or whatever. But because he's just doing this like cartoonish over-the-top character and it's you just kind of go along with it. Can can we stop and talk about his fucking hair for just one fucking moment? I already said cartoonish and over-the-top. What more do you want me to say? <laughs> just, I don't, I just gotta, there's both of these movies, I would have loved to just 
have a time machine so I could go back and just walk around and listen to the fucking conversations people are having. Because who the fuck came up with that? They were like, all right, he's going to have this weird, pointy, quaffy. Uh, I, I don't even know what the fuck that is. Like, what is it? It's I would call it cartoonish, but it doesn't look like something that would be in a cartoon. It looks so surreal and unrealistic of a human style. It doesn't make sense. Isn't it like that Tintin cartoon? Isn't it a similar haircut? Maybe. Am I, I think another right thing? I don't know. I think whoever designed that haircut is the same one decided we needed to see uh, Tom Sizemore in a thong earlier in the film. I don't know why. Uh. <laughs> it, it was unnecessary. It was over the top. But what do you do? That's what this movie is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about Tom Sizemore's cop part in this. Yeah. And how just fucking weird and fucked up he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He like if people haven't seen this movie in a while, I'll just throw out the reminder that he strangles a hooker in a hotel room as a way to get himself psyched up for going to see Mickey and Mallory. <laughs> Which I'm against, by the way. I don't think you should do that. <laughs> well yeah, and beyond that there's this whole weird pseudo sexual thing of his attitude toward Mickey and Mallory of where yep. he wants to like out dominate Mickey and fuck Mallory. It's, it's really weird. Yeah. And it's, and he's such a weird, like the way he plays it is so just weird and off putting. And I, th I think it's the idea that he just wants to be, he wants power over these people who have seemed to have power over the whole world kind of thing. But it's, it's very strange. Damn Oliver Stone making movies with with layers and shit that are hard to peel apart. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is weird because it was like only in the nineties could you have made this movie too, with all this fucking weird shit going on and this over stylized dialogue and that. Like, if they tried to make it today, by the time the studios got their hands on it, it would be some gritty realistic movie with all the messaging taken out yeah yeah it would have been been uh, I want to say desensitized but that's not the right word distilled would have been distilled down to a pretty mediocre movie probably yeah because like plot wise I mean there have been other movies that do this same sort of thing um and uh, that doesn't mean they're bad they're just because they are told in a more straightforward way but you, the plot of this is not particularly original. I'm thinking of uh, Badlands as the one that pops to mind as just being like, it's almost the same story, but it's just a straightforward narrative and doesn't have any of this wacky shit in it. Not nearly as memorable. Yeah. I see you and you're riding on a big red horse. <laughs> My, my favorite speech in the whole movie is when the guy talks, when the old Indian guy talks about the, uh, tells the story about the lady who found a snake and nursed it back to health. <laughs> That's my favorite thing. When he, when he ends that with, look, bitch, you knew I was a snake. I'm like, ah, I guess. You're it's actually an important, it's an important life lesson that I think people need to learn. It's like, you know, bring a snake into your home and then the snake bites you. That's not entirely the snake's fault. <laughs> 
Yeah, the whole the whole thing with the uh, the Native American families probably the the like deepest part of the whole movie that you get to see some stuff like uh, Mickey's having a nightmare and wakes up and shoots the guy and the nightmare's about apparently his backstory of he too was uh, treated very badly as a child. Yeah, and then there's this cool thing where through the whole movie you kind of think that they're both just these remorseless monsters but you can see that they like there is a little bit of humanity left in there but even that is damaged and sometimes they just can't control what they are rather than intentionally being bad if that if that makes sense yep you okay there brian yeah to pee i'm back now ah (laughs) (laughs) you almost pulled that off very subtly if we hadn't drawn attention to the fact that you were coming back (laughs) is what it is I guess subtlety wouldn't be uh, appropriate for during the middle of our discussion of natural porn killers (laughs) that's true alright anybody else got anything we're good I think we I think we all could probably talk for another hour but I don't know that we'd say anything more intelligent than what we've already said so thanks for calling the midnight drive-in no one is here to take your call for more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Who watched stuff since last episode? No. I watched a thing. Why are we talking like this? Be, because I'm I'm trying to make it big because it's not going to be very exciting. I watched uh, Between Two Ferns, the movie. Yeah. It's, it's okay. <laughs> they didn't I've, heard, I've heard it's pretty, pretty much not good. It's pretty lackluster. I mean, it is, if you go into it, thinking okay it's just an episode of between two ferns that they stretched out to movie length then you should be perfectly happy with what this movie is see what I've been doing is watching some of the clips from the movie on YouTube and I feel like that's more enjoyable because I think that that whole setup works better in three minute intervals than it would as a movie so I don't think I'll ever watch the movie I'll just continue to watch the clips on YouTube See, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think that uh, I think because they made it feature length, you kind of expect it to have more substance to it than it does. But it really doesn't need it. I mean, if as, as long as you're okay with Zach Galifianakis delivering his weird, sarcastic asshole interviews. Uh, and then intermingle that with just some random funny stuff like just never ending jokes about Will Ferrell having a raging cocaine addiction and uh, uh, them attempting to <laughs> rob Peter Dinklage who apparently is the wealthiest person they interview for some reason he's <laughs> got Game There's of Thrones a- money bitch oh my god there's a great line if they're walking into his house and they're planning on like kind of robbing him while they're doing the the episode because they're broke 
And she goes, why don't you describe to us some of your uh, fabulously valuable possessions? And and Peter Dinklage looks at her all weird, and he's like, I mean, I was going to do that anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> And then at the end, there's a scene where Peter Dinklage is like, they, they've stole. He's like, no, no, my priceless possessions. Now all I have left is $125 million in my savings account alone. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you'll survive, Peter Dinklage. You'll survive. <laughs> You're a survivor. <laughs> Uh, that's good yeah like I said besides besides that everything's exactly what you would expect it to be hmm. not surprised maybe I'll watch it someday if I'm bored yeah I was gonna say if you if you find Between Two Ferns funny you'll think that this is funny just don't go into it expecting it to be like some earth-shattering great thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not gonna blow your mind. Other and and that's pretty much it. I'm I'm finally almost all the way caught up on uh, Agents of Shield though. Nice. Almost. I'm like the first quarter of the way into season six, so I should have it caught up by the time. Uh, Season seven's ready to go. Well, season well, seven's not going until next summer, so you got plenty of time. Right. What'd you watch, Doug? That's a nice simultaneous act. That, that, was, that, that was very off weird. <laughs> uh, let's see. First thing I watched was a as a follow-up to last week's discussion of Terrifier. Last week you said that if you like yeah. Terrifier, you're supposed to go watch All Hallows' Eve, so I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw him. It was pretty good. Was it good? It, yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a bit weird. What it is is the filmmaker had made short movies, and then he filmed a wraparound story to turn these short movies into an anthology movie. Mm. Um so the one thing is you can definitely tell that certain short stories were filmed on bigger budgets than others and there's some makeup problems in the stories in one, at least one of the stories like one of the stories is about a girl who gets kind of kidnapped taken into the subway and is held captive by a bunch of different freaky monster people and some of the makeup is not great you can tell it was somebody doing like an independent filmmaker making a short film um but the atmosphere works and it's creepy and weird um, and then yeah the, the final story which is the short film Terrifier that the long version of Terrifier was based on is uh, Art the Clown who I really like running around it is a different actor than the feature length oh, of Terrifier um, looks the same many of the same characteristics because I watched these two movies so close together I could tell the difference in the performances I don't know if you would like I think the movies came out like three years apart I don't think if you were three years between seeing these you might not mm-hmm. notice the difference as much um, yeah I, I enjoyed it quite a bit it was creepy and weird and off-putting and, uh, the one thing I 
didn't like as much was so the wraparound story is um, babysitter and kids on Halloween night kids empty out the candy bag somebody dropped a VHS tape in there let's find out what's on the VHS tape there's the short stories right but during the stories they would kind of cut back to the babysitter every now and again watching it and for me that kind of like I'm like well wait a minute I was trying to pretend this story was real like <laughs> don't don't show me someone watching this story on TV because that's going to make me think this isn't real mm-hmm. and it all kind of plays out at the end the end of the wraparound story is essentially Art the Clown trying to get out of the TV at the girl um, and sort of the idea is that the uh, more and more of the stories that have been going on in the TV are becoming part of her real world experience um I'll try not to spoil it too much to say how it ends because it's, it's pretty good. Um, it's, it's a big recommend if you've if you've seen Terrifier and you like Art the Clown, he shows up quite a bit in this, and he's it's the same character. He does a good job. So lots of blood. Um, yeah. Uh, there is an All Hallows Eve too, but it's not from that filmmaker. And Arthur yeah, is not in it, so I don't know if you're interested in checking that out. No, I was going to, and then I found out it was from a different filmmaker, and Art the Clown's not in it. Yeah. It looks like, because Art the Clown is kind of the unifying character in these short stories, mm-hmm. um, and it looks like they've tried to do the same thing for All Who's Eve, too, is they've invented another guy that will serve that purpose. But, I don't know. If, it, if it's just a... I might watch it one day, but if it's not the same filmmaker and it's not the same actors and it's not, it doesn't doesn't immediately draw my attention. So, but I would definitely recommend. Yeah, I'd recommend All Hallows Eve. It's a good Halloween movie for you know for adult audiences. Halloween movie, don't watch it with the kids, kind of thing. But it was a uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Creepy, weird, gross, but kind of gross in that way where it's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely on my on my to watch list at some point. So if 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 you had a really weak stomach, I would say be careful because you're gonna you might find yourself you know squeamish watching it. But well, I didn't get too squeamish watching him cut a girl in half down the middle while she was chained up in Terrifier. So that should be yeah. There's nothing quite that over the top in this movie, (laughs) but there's you know. Body parts being chopped off and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, little there is a like a I don't even know what you call it. What's the what's the correct medical term for when a series of demons tie a pregnant woman up and cut her stomach open and pull the baby out? What do you guys know what that's called? Uh, see. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that happens. Um, <laughs> it's. But yeah. Um. I don't know, we, yeah, we'll talk about it more if you guys ever see it. Move uh, it up the list. So then I followed that up because uh, it has Killer Clown in it. So then I'm like, what other movies have Killer Clowns in them? And that's how I landed on the 1976 Canadian movie, The Clown Burgers. Yeah. Now, of all the reasons to watch a movie... I picked this one because it stars one John Candy. 
<laughs> and I'm like, I gotta see John Candy in this weird thriller about a killer clown. Two things you didn't know you needed in your life? No, I did not know I needed that at all. Um, didn't know this movie existed until the day I saw it on some Wikipedia list, and then it was free on YouTube, so there you go. <laughs> uh, Plotline is rich guy is has a big land deal coming up. He's going to sell land that's technically owned by his wife. A bunch of other guys that don't really like him are trying to ruin his land deal for some reason. It's not really clear what their motivation is. Like, the, the one guy seems to be motivated by the fact that he is wants the wife for himself. The one guy seems to be motivated by the fact that he's trying to protect the the land and doesn't want it turned into condos. And John Candy's character just seems to be going along for the ride. He doesn't seem to really have a good reason for being there. Um, so I'm not really sure why they want to stop this land deal, but they're going to kidnap the wife so that she can't be there to sign the papers and the deal will fall apart. And it's Halloween night, so the plan is... Uh, John Candy's character, for whatever reason, is in charge of ordering costumes for everybody for a Halloween party, and he's just going to get everybody dressed up as clowns so that they can slip in, grab her, and get out of there. It kind of follows what you would expect, where the uh, tensions start to rise between the kidnappers. Um, one guy gets a little more violent during the kidnapping than the others are comfortable with, and some of them just want to like give it up and just be like look this was supposed to be like a prank and now all of a sudden some guy got knocked unconscious and the cops are involved and can we call it off and other guys are like there's no way we're calling it off we're in too deep one of the guys is like we're in so deep that we're gonna have to find a way to make sure she never talks and where does that lead you um, you know pretty expected course of events and then another clown shows up and starts killing off these guys which was not as expected <laughs> Um, so this whole time they're in this like old farmhouse and there's just this other clown character that's just kind of creepy and weird and sort of a slasher killer that's hanging out in the barn um, I wouldn't watch this one if I were you guys no. I more or less just wanted to watch it because I wanted to see John Candy in a slasher film <laughs> and it, you don't really get good slasher film elements to it I thought some of the stuff with the the characters, kind of the kidnapper characters, all turning on each other, worked pretty well, but it doesn't come to a proper resolution because they find themselves dealing with this other killer. Um, yeah, I mean, if, so probably not worth your time, but not a completely uninteresting watch either. And it's weird because John Candy was acting in it and not just being comedic and he's actually pretty good and I'm like oh yeah you know, previous to discovering the fact that he was uh, that he was great at comedy I guess he was also an actor hmm. and also interesting to note that he was like 400 pounds in this and it's like 1976 and I'm like man that guy was fat forever <laughs> like that's weird like I, I almost expected like a young John Candy to be not recognizable but he looks just like he did like up until the day he died yeah that dude's that dude's genetics just tended to him to just be fat forever yeah it's weird because in the movie it's like all the other characters keep making fun of him for being fat and it's like I don't it's it, it's 
really awkward at points where they like, they bring it up so much and you're just like I don't leave him alone <laughs> he's one of uh, you got a genetics problem yeah but I mean they do also have him eating donuts just like constantly so he was probably like sweet free donuts yeah anyways yeah I mean if if you're super if you're super into like 70s grindhouse crime movies from Canada that star comedians then I would watch this one but if you're not then probably skip it uh, and after that comes the big one Rambo 5 came out this week oh. so you guys knew you guys know I was going to see that right yeah I haven't had a chance to go see it I'm going to go see it on Saturday um, so I don't want to I'll try not to spoil the plot for you it's a Rambo sequel whereby Rambo is living a quiet life trying to stay out of trouble but then somebody but then trouble finds him, him. Trouble, trouble finds him and he gets dragged back into the fight and has to kill a whole bunch of dudes see I heard it's um, called uh, Rambo colon Home Alone 5 yes That's <laughs> which I'm totally on board for yeah, I mean, I won't I won't give you every plot detail, but yeah, like at the end of the day Rambo figures out that he can't do everything he used to do. So his solution becomes set up a shit ton of booby traps in his underground lair that he spent the last 10 years building. Um cuz he literally lives in underground tunnels that he's dug himself and he's just ever expanding them. Hmm. And he uh, he basically lures he lures the guys back to uh, they come for him and he's just ready for them and it's just the last I want to say 25 minutes of the movie is just him killing the fuck out of people and intentionally narrowing it down to get like there's the one guy that he really wants and he's sworn revenge against and he basically gets rid of everybody else and leads that guy into a scenario whereby he uses special skills that only Rambo has to make sure that that guy suffers. <laughs> and I want to tell you what happens, but I don't want to tell you what happens. I want you to see it. So do your best to go in spoiler-free. Yeah. We'll see you this weekend, and we can chat about it next week. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. If you're a Rambo fan, I think you'll like this movie because it it's John Rambo killing the shit out of people for half an hour at the end. Um, I know there's a lot of people who have said, oh, it, it doesn't feel like a Rambo movie. It feels more like a Death Wish movie. I'm like, it's almost the same plot as part four, and everybody liked part four. So, yeah. It's just, he's just in a different part of the world where he gets dragged into the shit, right? <laughs> it's, there's a couple of things in it, and we'll, yeah, we'll discuss it. There's a couple of things in it that I thought were a little weird, and we'll discuss it further, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, over, overall, I enjoyed it just because I like the violence and action. And I don't. Yeah. Know. I, yeah. I kind of liked. There's like a, a, a segment of the movie where he becomes Detective Rambo and he has to like hunt hunt guys down. I enjoyed that element of it. <laughs> a lot of other people being like, I don't think a lot of other people liked that part of the movie, but I'm like, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I told my coworker, I'm like, I want to go see Rambo, and he's like, Oh, I'll go. And I'd be like, do you, do you know what it's about? He's basically just like, uh, I'm assuming Rambo kills a bunch of people, so that's good enough for me. 
Yeah. Like sold. So there's there's one thing we should address, which is okay, so Rambo kills a bunch of people. Those people are like Mexican they're like a Mexican cartel. That doesn't make Rambo racist, people. Like he, this is not a fucking. Pol- this is not a political movie. Every Rambo sequel from, like, like First Blood is a real movie with a political message to it and all that. Every sequel has been let's put Rambo in a fucked up situation and watch him kill people, and that's all this is. This is an exploitation movie. People need to quit quit acting like it has a political message. It does not. Like, there's people who are saying that like. Okay, there's literally a scene in this where Rambo drives across the border illegally and I've heard other people reviewing the movie talk about how like there's a message there about how easy it would be for these drug dealers to get in and all this like go fuck yourself <laughs> like it's Rambo stop it like it's not that's not what this is this movie is there. there is no political message to this movie there are yes there are fucking good and bad Mexican people in this but Rambo does not kill the people because they're Mexican he kills them because of the things they've done to his family okay or possibly his family I don't really understand the relationships in this movie because they don't bother to get into that I don't know if I can guarantee and say just because it's a Rambo movie there's no political message the last Rambo movie was nothing but political commentary on Burma Disagree. That last Rambo movie was an excuse to shoot people, and because Burma was in the news, he knows he could go there and shoot people, and people wouldn't get upset about it. The same way you could shoot drug dealers and people don't get upset about it, or you can shoot Russians and people don't get upset about it. He just picks whatever the evil in the world is today, and he's like, that's somebody I can kill on screen without upsetting audiences. Like, a global audience will be happy to watch me shoot Russians in Afghanistan, so that's who I'll shoot in this movie. Right now, there's a lot of headlines about evil Mexican drug cartels and stuff, and that's who he shoots. Uh, these these are exploitation movies. These are not. Nah, I disagree. Well, it's not. I don't know. Thing. I I don't know about this one. I haven't seen it, so I can't say if there's a message. Uh, that's my take. My, my take on it is that Rambo needs generic bad guys to kill large amounts of, and he, they just put him in different spots. And in this case, they literally put him in the spot where the last movie ended him. It's like he hasn't left in ten years from this exact same location. He lives with a weird Mexican family, and I'm honestly not sure who they are because this movie is. It's so basic that it's literally they never explain why Rambo lives in the tunnels behind the house and there's a Mexican family in the house. They don't explain who those people are. Like I've read on I read somewhere that like they're supposed to be the family that worked for his dad on this ranch and when his dad passed away, he just let them stay because he's I have no idea if that's true. They don't say that in the movie. <laughs> weird but we'll talk about it in detail next week when you've had a chance to see it because yeah. some of the violence I, some of the violence I'd like to talk about 
into specific detail. I don't want to have any more political talk. I just want to talk about what he does to that guy at the end of the movie. I was smiling so hard during the shoot everybody parts. Nice. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, I have one other thing that I finished. That we, I, I made us late so that I could so that I could finish watching it before we recorded, which was uh, Creep Show season one, episode one. Which I watched at work today because my coworker called in sick, and I was done with all my shit today, so I just pulled it up and sat back and watched them on my computer. Alright, so why don't you, uh, what, what did you think? Um, alright, well first up they do an adaptation of Stephen King's Grey Matter. Um, right. Change it, tweak it slightly. Tweaks didn't bother me. Uh, and they followed that up with, uh, I don't know where the story came from, but the, the story is called The House of the, House of the Head. I'm like, what yep. the fuck is this? And I think I actually end up enjoying that one more than I did the Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, me weird. too. Weird for, for people, people know I'm a huge King nerd, but yeah. Um, so my overall thoughts is... Like, I, I really like the episode. I don't feel like it's creep show. But, I mean, it's a horror anthology, so I'm, I'm still in. But it just seems the brand seems off to me. It doesn't seem like creep show stories. But I felt that way with Grey Matter. I didn't think it was really a creep show story because it doesn't really have, like, any kind of, like, twist ending to it. Yeah. Like, the basic, the basic plot is that a guy drinks beer that turns him into a monster. Yeah, and that's it. Like that's the whole thing. <laughs> there's, there's no, and yeah, like at the end he's a monster. And I liked like I they didn't hold back on the gore and the effects are good and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed first, it. It was yeah. Which at first we we're about halfway through. I'm like, man, they they must have picked this as like a single location story because they haven't really done much with uh, special effects and stuff, which is actually was starting to piss me off. I'm like, because, you know, Creepshow's known for, like, kind of the crazy, gory special effects that they use. Yeah. And I'm like, man, they haven't really done anything. And then, and then like, everything goes to hell all at once. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Okay, yeah. Fuck yeah. Everything's awesome. Never mind. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was pretty happy with... Three, like, there was no... I don't want to say there was no twist ending because Creepshow doesn't really have the twist ending, but they have that kind of. They tend to have like those big PowerPoint endings, like those big like. Yeah. Yeah. And now look what happened, and we're done. You know, and yeah. it didn't have that. Whereas I found the second story, I thought was a lot more Creepshowy. Yeah, I mean, there are plays on the old EC comics where somebody would usually get their comeuppance or something, and that didn't really happen in the first story, and not really in the second story either, but. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to break down the second story? Oh, <laughs> this little girl has a dollhouse, and she has these little action figure doll guys that go in it. And one day, a severed head shows up in it and starts haunting the dollhouse. <laughs> um. So every day when she comes home, the characters have all moved, and they're being—they seem to be being haunted by. 
I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. They're being haunted by a severed head, um, which eventually starts to kill the other dolls. So she goes and buys a Native American doll to put in there because it's the most spiritual thing she can find. But when the severed head kills kills uh, the Native American, she just she pulls the head out. It falls under her bed. When she goes to get it, it's now grown to full size because it's out of the dollhouse. So she shoves it back in there and gives the dollhouse away. <laughs> Is that it's a good so good. I really enjoyed it. It's so good. I mean, like you basically pointed out, like when I was thinking, well, how am I going to explain this? I'm like, essentially, it's about a dollhouse that's haunted, which seems weird because, no, it's not haunting like outside of the dollhouse. It's just the inside of the dollhouse is haunted, which somehow makes the characters in the dollhouse almost alive. But you don't ever see them move. It's just she, she leaves. And when she comes back, they're in a different place and you could tell like oh the family's huddled at the bottom of the stairs looking up the stairs they're frightened of something <laughs> like it's it's so good like I yeah I was blown away by how good it was I love that when one of the little doll characters gets killed they actually bleed yeah <laughs> we don't see them get killed they just all of a sudden they're just like laying there on the ground headless <laughs> and there's blood coming out of the neck hole and you're like but that was a doll <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic, and the little girl's good too. She's uh, she's uh, she's from uh, Walking Dead now. Yeah, she's really good in this. Yeah, um, she's fantastic. She's, I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out how to explain her. It's like she's like she's a sweet innocent little girl but when she's carrying around like a severed head somehow it seems natural (laughs) yeah and I love that her first thought is like okay my family of dolls is being terrorized by a weird zombie looking severed head in their house first thing I'm gonna go do is buy a cop doll and put him in there because he's a police officer surely he'll he'll figure all this out and nope and then she's looking for a rabbi or a priest and the doll guy doesn't have any so it's like but he's like but Native Americans were always super spiritual so of course her inkling is yeah okay I'll buy a Native American doll throw it in there see what happens uh, so good I want to watch it again now yeah it's, it was really fun um, I don't know I, I did love when she took the head out and then it run under her bed and she looks under there and it's huge and she's like fuck that and stuffs it back in the dollhouse <laughs> yeah I guess we should have thrown up a spoiler warning before getting this far into it but but it's it, it's these fun little stories I don't think you need to worry about spoilers like yeah. they're not plot driven they're experience driven um yeah I would definitely I I will say this like overall I was super happy when I realized it was going to be two stories because when I like when the episode popped up and I like checked and I'm like oh it's 45 minutes long that seems too long for Creepshow yeah not that you can't again like not that it would necessarily be bad it just would feel less Creepshowy and I think having the two stories per week is going to be a better way to do it yeah Yeah, about 20 minutes is about perfect for stories like this yeah, so I'm curious to see how the rest of the season goes. I know you were a little disappointed they only put up one episode, but yeah, you know, they. Kinda, I don't like it. 
They subs- <laughs> Netflix has spoiled us because they subscribe to the putting one episode up a week. So, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, I can't wait twelve weeks to watch the rest of them, but watching one a week is going to suck. <laughs> Get on board streaming sites. It's uh, we want to binge watch. That's what we as audiences want. So let us do it. Because I think Disney. I think Disney's going to be doing this one episode a week bullshit too when their thing comes yeah. out. And I'm like, no. I know. I don't. Want, I don't want to watch one episode a week. I want to watch all of them at once. <laughs> I want to call in sick to work and watch an entire season of a TV show while nobody else is home. <laughs> yeah. See, it's perfect. <sighs> yeah. So I'm excited to see what else. I know they've adapted. Uh, at least another Stephen King story and a story by Joe Hill. So I'm curious to see, yeah, uh, what we're going to get this for this season. Yeah, I don't know. I was going to read like all the upcoming stories. So I think they've released like which stories they're doing for the for every episode. But I mm-hmm. I don't really want to know. I kind of liked going in blind. So yeah, yeah, worked out really good. Oh, we forgot to mention the first story that Gray Matter had uh, Adrian Barbeau in it. Sort of oh, yeah. a little nod to the original Creep Show. Yep. And uh, Tobin Bell from the Saw franchise. So that's who that was. That's been bugging me. I didn't, re- couldn't figure out quite who that was. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's got a. It's kind of different. It's kind of different when he's not, you know, lowering his voice and be like, "Would you like to play a game?" Yeah. Uh, and there was like two or three nods to other Stephen King stuff. Um, sometimes I enjoy stuff like that. I felt like these were kind of eye rolly, but what are you gonna do? Yeah. And there's probably stuff that a lot of other people will pick up on. You're just kind of yeah. That's. <laughs> uh, all right. Do you got anything else? No, that's it for me. Alright, well I got a couple things Uh, Me and Noah were supposed to go to the drive-in this weekend And then it turned out there was going to be 75% chance of thunderstorms And I'm like, well, I'm not driving an hour and a half To go up there to have to, like, sit in my car And probably could barely see through the windshield of what's going on on the screen So, cancelled it but my coworker, who was going to go, my friend Tim, when I told him, because the original lineup was Exorcist, uh, Night of the Creeps, Christine, and Zombie, Fulci Zombie. So when I told my coworker, like, hey, they just revealed the fourth movie. It's going to be Christine. And he looked at me and said, am I supposed to know what that is? I went, son of a bitch. I was like, what the fuck, dude? Come on. Even, even, I mean, he's 25. Like, even if you haven't seen the movie, you should still, like, have an understanding of the pop culture, pop cultureness of what Christine is. Come on. So he had no idea. <clears throat> and he, he was only able to quantify it, be like, I'm like, come on, it's a killer car movie. And he's like, oh, is that like the episode of Futurama where Bender turns into a killer car? Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> That's what I said. I'm like, yes, yes, it is. You son of a bitch. So I had him come over so we could watch some movies. Uh, we watched Christine. 
which uh, I got to watch my new Blu-ray, which has a nice uh, 4K restoration on it. And uh, that sucker looked beautiful. It was fantastic. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a John Carpenter movie. Anything before from, you know, In the Mouth of Madness to before that always, I feel like, stands up really well. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just still looks good. still holds up really well, which I'm very happy with. So if for some reason you haven't seen Christine, go watch it. That'd be weird if somebody hadn't seen Christine. <laughs> right? Um, then he also told me he had not seen the entirety of Grindhouse. I think okay. he, he had only seen a little bit of Death Proof. He hadn't seen anything else. But you're not supposed to watch those movies individually. You're only supposed to watch them as one long movie. And this is why when, you know, they were released on home video separately on DVD, I said, nope, this is bullshit. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it that way. And so I held out until they put the Blu-ray out that had the entire experience together. Like all, someone was like, "Oh, they," but they didn't put the trailers on. Nope, the entire the entire experience as you saw it in the movie theater is is on the Blu-ray. So, so I pulled that out. He hadn't seen none of the trailers, so we watched we watched uh, Planet Terror, and then uh, got all the good trailers, and then watched Death Proof. Uh, I love Grindhouse. I'm just, I'm just kind of sad that it didn't do very well, so they couldn't follow it up with like a sequel of some sort. Yeah, I still don't understand how that didn't do well. Yeah, I don't know. People just didn't didn't want to go and see it for some reason. <clears throat> I saw that shit opening weekend. I was so excited for it. So we watched all that. He enjoyed uh, both of those. He did say he thought Death Proof was his, was his favorite of the two, which I still think I lean towards Planet Terror. I feel like Planet Terror just really like leans into the Grindhouse aspect of it, whereas Death Proof doesn't as much. So, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I do love Death Proof though. I can't oh, say yeah. I don't. Yeah, Death Proof is still fantastic. But I feel like Robert Rodriguez really just just like grabbed on to the Grindhouse idea and really yeah. really went with it, which I was all about. Yeah, to really um, to really understand the difference between the two, you have to look at where the missing reels happen in both. Mm-hmm. And whereas it's like a total gimmick in the Tarantino section, yeah. where it's just like that it teases that lap dance or whatever and then it doesn't show it yeah in rodriguez's film where he's just like it it really feels genuine like there is just a bunch of missing scenes there (laughs) and it comes out of nowhere and you're just like what the hell why is it on fire now yeah (laughs) that's the best part like yeah the sex scene is you know getting ready to go down then the film just burns away and then yeah missing reel (laughs) and then i just remember being in the theater and then it just yeah cuts to the the barbecue joint and the whole place is just in flames and in the theater everybody just fucking lost it <laughs> like that's yeah. that's so fantastic yeah I remember then, when I first saw it both of the people in the theater went crazy for that scene <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then uh, 
And then, of course, that missing reel is where we got El Rey's backstory to. And it's just so for the rest of the movie. It's like, well, why didn't you tell me you were El Rey? It's <laughs> like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's perfect. Exactly. It's so good. I love that movie so much. Uh, uh, then the last thing we watched is uh, we watched Ma. The movie with oh, yeah. Tavia Spencer, who invites a bunch of teen, high school teens to come over to our house and drink. Um, you know, it, I kind of wanted to see this in the theater, didn't get around to it, so we rented it, and uh, yeah, it's okay. It's nothing that's going to change your life, but it's kind of fun watching Octavia Spencer just get to have fun and you know, kind of laugh it up, and then, you know, the next second, she is like, I will fucking kill you look on her face. So, it's fun. It's, it's, like I said, it's not, it's not going to win any, any, uh, horror awards or anything, but it's a fun film. It's fine. I'm just saying, not a lot, like, really happens in the movie. It's literally people drinking at her house. And then people go like, Ma's kind of creepy. We shouldn't drink at her house anymore. And then Ma calling people up on video, uh, on FaceTime and being like, come on, why don't y'all drink at my house no more? I'm, you're kind of pissing me off. And then, you know, she kidnaps him. As you do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, there's there's not a lot of substance to it. It's, it's fine. We had a good time watching it, but it's not... Uh, it's not life changing. It's it's one of those ones I kind of want to see just because I think it'd be fun. I just maybe yeah. Like I said, I bet Octavia Spencer loved it because she just got to do kind of play against type of all the shit she usually does. So she probably loved it. She got to be fucking nuts on screen, which is sometimes can be a lot of fun. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Doug, why don't you uh, tell everybody what we're doing next week? Oh, man. Uh, so Jesus. We, we've managed we've managed to avoid bringing it up, but uh, oh, yeah. recording this just a couple of days after Sid Hag passed away and naturally we're bummed. Um, mm-hmm. So next week will also be the first episode released in October. So we tracked down a couple of uh, horror movies with Sid Hag in them, and we'll be watching and discussing Spider Baby and uh, Galaxy of Terror. Mm-hmm. So I've never seen Galaxy of Terror, and I haven't seen Spider Baby in a long time. So I'm actually pretty excited for this one. It's been a few years since I saw Spider Baby too. I'm really excited to check it out again. Yeah, I remember really liking it, but I don't remember details. So yeah. I just remember being amazed by everybody's performance in it. Yeah. So, have you ever seen uh, Spider Baby, Noah? I'm assuming. I so. have not. Ooh, really? This it's one of those ones I've always meant to see it, never have. Ah, well. There's a good reason to. You'll, uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. By even, like I said, performances alone, I think, make it fantastic. So. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed that I don't get to watch Warlords. Oh, good lord. 
Stop trying to push your nonsense on us. <laughs> yeah, you can sell our... warlords. Yeah, go right ahead. I can, but that's not as fun unless you guys have to watch it too. That's <laughs> uh, fine. I can just I can just tune you out while you talk to us about it. It'd be great. Uh... <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say something. I completely forgot what it was now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it'd be a bit of a sad episode next week, though. Yeah. Has anybody else ever met Sid Hagen in their life? I have not. I, I have not, but I, I remember, like, back when Horror Etc. was <laughs> And uh, we were going to a convention, and Anthony thought, like, oh, he's going to stand in line to meet Sid Hag, and he's going to have, like, some questions for him. And he was super nervous, because he'd never done anything like that before, and I remember listening to the recording afterwards, and it's just like, it's literally Sid Hag going, look, look, calm down, we have all the time in the world, you don't have to go, you can ask all your questions, like, I'll be here as long as you want, kind of thing, the whole time. And it's just, just some weird guy with a mic walks up to him and says can I interview from my podcast back before anyone knew what the fuck a podcast was <laughs> and he was just just so gentle and just so like like trying to help you along with your process and it's like what like, I, I remember seeing that and thinking like, there's a guy who appreciates what fans are doing for him he appreciates that he gets to live a cool life because other people are fans of him and is I don't know I, I always respect celebrities who understand that they work for us kind of thing and and, and appreciate what the fa- appreciate their fans and but that's my my first like kind of knowledge of Sid Hag outside of just seeing him on camera was that so I always think back to that mm-hmm. yeah yeah I met him at uh one of the first horror hounds I went to and uh uh, it's when I was doing a podcast called Horror Junk, which was a video podcast. So we had set up set up that you know, we were going to come down and talk to him before the convention opened. And then uh, whoever was running the floor wouldn't let us in before it opened. So we are like, oh, fuck, this dude's going to think we like, stood him up. So we felt kind of bad about it. And then like we went through his line later. And he's like, yeah, I was down here waiting for you. I'm like, I know they wouldn't let us in. I'm sorry. And he's like, ah, it's fine. And there was nobody else on his line at the time. So he's like, fuck it, just set up the camera. Let's do it right now. And it's like, oh, sweet. So, yeah, we just set up, talked to him a little bit. Um, you know, we had, we put together, like, a Halloween episode where we asked everybody what their favorite horror movie scene was. And uh, so, yeah, I need to dig up that video. But I have him talking about uh, Cujo because... He was apparently bit by a dog when he was really young, so he was always afraid of dogs after that. Yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> super nice guy. Every time I met him, and then, uh, you know, my f- uh, friend of the show, Tony, who's been on a couple times, not Anthony. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, directed him in uh, in one of his last movies, and he uh, absolutely loved him. Said, uh, because the the movie was in complete turmoil because they had a director who lasted for a couple days and then got fired and so then the producer just came over to Tony and was like look I know you've directed feature films would you be interested in taking over so then Tony had to be like oh fuck yeah I guess I'm just gonna I'm just jumping in because he was working on uh, 
special effects for the movie. But, you know, he said he worked with Sid, you know, that first day, and Sid saw it. He's like, no, you know what you're doing. You're doing a really good job. So Sid then came on the movie as a producer so that he could answer questions and people wouldn't bother Tony with, like, a bunch of producer questions. And he could just concentrate on directing and stuff. And he said they had a really good sort of chemistry and stuff working on the movie so that's cool every time tony and sid were at a convention together they'd always end up going out to dinner afterwards and you know they just had a they ended up becoming friends after you know after working on the movie together so it's just cool to hear stories like that yeah maybe i'll hit up tony see if he wants to come on next week talk about sid so yeah i just like that all the stories about sid hager it's the same thing it's saw somebody else who was nervous and maybe not sure what to do and just immediately wanted to help them yeah yeah and I think he even he stayed like an extra week on the movie then he like a week over what he was supposed to just so he could help produce it and stuff so yeah he was sounds like a hell of a guy to work with so it's a bummer he was 80 years old, so, I mean, he did have a good run, but it's always sad. Yeah. Sad when some of your favorites like this, you know, leave us. Well, awesome. Isn't, we, isn't, we, we brought down the show. Yeah. Is anybody going to say a witty one-liner to end it? Or? <laughs> nope. Too depressing. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.